Good morning, church. It is so good to see you. Thank you for being here in, in person or online. I love and appreciate you all so very much. Last week, we started this new series where we're talking about this. We're talking about the table, about sharing a meal with each other, whether that's sharing a meal with a stranger, sharing a meal with your brother or sister in Christ, sharing a meal with a neighbor, sharing a meal with your own family. And what we learn about people by sharing a meal together, because you really do get to know people when you share a meal with them, don't you? You get to know people on a whole different level, on a deeper level, so much more than you do probably in any other environment. In any other environment, you can sort of fake your way through it. You know what I mean? You can sort of put on airs. You can sort of put on a facade. You can put on a mask. You can, you can appear to be one way. But when you really share meals with one another, when you gather around the table together, you see people for who they are, and they see you for who you are. They learn things about you that maybe you want them to know, and maybe you don't want them to know. You know what I mean? And we really get to know each other around the table. I was thinking about a story from when I, I first started preaching. I was a young preacher, and my, my boys were probably two and five. Malachi was probably about five years old. And, and I got invited to speak at this preaching workshop. And I was incredibly intimidated to be around these other preachers who were far more experienced and talented and skilled. And, and I, I, I looked up to them and really appreciated them. And we went through the whole conference, and it was a great time, and, and it was wonderful. But, but the last night of the conference, we we all went, several of us went to one of the preacher's house, and we had a meal together. And so, again, these preachers, their kids were grown, they were older. I looked up to these preachers and their families. So it was a bunch of preachers and their wives, and then me and Holly and our two little bitty boys, five and two, again. And so we, we made it through the whole meal, and we're trying, you know, be on your best behavior, don't do that, you know, you, when you talk through your teeth, and you, you tell them, to, you, don't say that, and don't touch that, and don't do that, you know, so you, you want your kids to be on their best behavior, and we made it through the whole meal, and it was about time to go back to the workshop, and we had one last sermon for the night, and I'm pretty sure the lady who asked this question, her husband was speaking that night, and she asked Malachi, she said, so, you ready to go back to church? And he said, no, <laughs> not the right answer. Um, and then she, of course, asked why, and the worst possible answer, he said, I don't really like going to church, <laughs> not what you want as a preacher for your kid to say, and then, of course, she kept probing because she was just being friendly and making conversation. She said, well, what do you like to do? And I'm hoping, you know, maybe read the Bible, go, go to nursing homes, you know, I don't know, something good, <laughs> but he says, play video games. You just kind of slide under the table, right? I mean, but that's what happens, for better or for worse. That's what happens when you have meals with one another. That's what happens when you get together with each other is that you see people for who they are. Your, your life is revealed to one another. That's what makes it so wonderful and so challenging. And maybe that's one reason we don't do it enough because we're afraid for people to see us as we really are. We're, we're afraid for people to see us for who we really are. We're afraid to be ourselves and for people to really get to know us, but that is one of the greatest, richest blessings in the entire world is to see people for who they are and to be seen for who you really are and to have those close, 
intimate relationships. But you do, you, you see people's priorities. And that's the word I want us to think about this morning is priorities. When we share a meal with each other, we see people's priorities. So I want you to ask this question and just meditate on it for a second. If you invited someone to dinner, what priorities would your table reveal? I just want you to think about that for a second. If you invited someone to dinner, what priorities would your table reveal? What would your table reveal is very important to you and to your family? And maybe you go to, to a restaurant or maybe you're at your own house, but you invite someone to a meal. You invite someone to, as the Bible says, recline at table with you. We don't really recline anymore, but you invite someone to share a meal with you. What priorities would your table reveal? Who do you invite? Who do you invite? How much time do you spend cleaning the house before they get there? What sort of dishes do you use to, to serve them? What, what food do you eat when they arrive? What, what conversations do you have? How quickly do you clean up afterwards? Who does the cleaning up? Who does the cooking? You see how there are so many things, and most of the things that are our priorities... Most of our priorities we sort of take for granted. We don't even stop to really think about them. But when, when you're up with somebody else, when you're sharing time and sharing a meal with someone else, it sort of brings those things out as being important to you. And what I want us to realize is that when Jesus, when Jesus comes to your table, he reorders your priorities. When you share a meal with someone else, your, your priorities are revealed and then when you share a meal with Jesus, when you invite Jesus into your home, when you invite Jesus to your table, when you invite Jesus into your life, when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus, then he reorders your priorities. And here's what we need to recognize, that every single one of us, no matter how old you are or young you are, no, no matter how many kids you have or you don't have kids, you're married, you're not married, it doesn't matter where you are in life, what stage you're in, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, we all have priorities that need to be reordered. Amen? We all have priorities that need to be reordered. We all need Jesus to help us to rethink our priorities. What is really important to you? And should that be, should that be the most important thing to you? Or are there things that should be more important to you than they are? And we all need Jesus to help us to think about, to bring our priorities to the surface. Because sometimes we don't know that that's what our priorities have been. We need Jesus to bring those things to the surface so that they can be examined and we can say, should those be our priorities? Or should there, our priorities be different? Do I need Jesus to reorder my priorities? And the answer to that is yes. The better question is, how do I need Jesus to reorder my priorities? And that's what today's story is all about. Look at Luke chapter 11 and verse 37. Luke chapter 11 and verse 37. The text says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. Now, isn't it interesting, and Richard brought this out this morning in the communion focus, that, that Jesus, in the story we read last week in Luke chapter 5, he was eating with a tax collector, and in today's story, he's eating with a Pharisee. Now again, as we said last week, we have a tendency to think of these terms 
tax collector, Pharisee, Sadducee, scribe. We tend to think of those in religious categories, but it's probably more accurate and more helpful to think of them as social or even political categories. And so Jesus is dining with, reclining at table with people at both ends of the political and social spectrum, right? Jesus is dining with people at both ends of the political spectrum. Jesus has room at his table for a whole lot of folks. Jesus has a big table. Jesus has room at his table for a lot of folks. And it's a good thing that he does. You know why? Because he has room for me at his table. And he has room at his table for you. And I think that we ought to reflect on that idea for a moment, don't you? Whether or not our table is as big as Jesus' table. Whether or not we make room at our table for the same kinds of people that Jesus made room at his table for. Do we make room at our table for everyone at both ends of the political spectrum or the social spectrum or the religious spectrum? Do we make room at our table for everyone? Jesus made room at his table. Jesus came to the table of both the tax collector and the Pharisee. So here he is having dinner with the Pharisee. And it says in verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished. And I want us to think about that word, astonished, to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. Now, we tend to wash before dinner, at least I hope we wash before dinner, but this is totally different, the the way that Jesus or the way that the, the Jews in the first century washed before dinner and the way that we wash before dinner. For us, it's about germs, right? For us, it's about getting the germs up. For them, this was a religious ceremony. It was a religious ceremony. In fact, it's still practiced to this day. And water is taken from a cup, usually with two handles on it, one for each hand. And one handle is taken, and they'll pour water over one hand at least twice, maybe three times, and then over the other hand. And then as the water drips off, they'll say a blessing over their hands. And so for Jesus to not do this would be like a preacher or an elder or a deacon coming over to your house and they started eating before the prayer was said, right? And you would, you'd be shocked. Wait, wait, you can't, you're eating. You're not supposed to be eating. I don't know why you're eating before we say the prayer. You don't say the prayer. You don't say a blessing. This isn't important to you. And so for this Pharisee, this was incredibly shocking. It was incredibly surprising because this was a religious ceremony. This was a religious tradition. And for Jesus to not do this meant that Jesus had different priorities than the Pharisee had. See, your surprise reveals what you prioritize, right? Your surprise reveals what you prioritize. Sometimes we don't recognize that we prioritize something until someone else doesn't. We don't realize that this is important to us until someone else has different priorities. And then when someone has different priorities and they don't do what you do, they don't dress how you dress, they don't talk like you talk, they don't act like you act, they don't think the same things are important that you do, then it's surprising and shocking. And you think, wait, I thought everybody did this. I thought everybody said this. I thought everybody did things this way. Your surprise reveals what you prioritize. The Pharisee's surprise, his astonishment that Jesus doesn't do this. Why doesn't this rabbi wash before eating? 
It shocked him. And I think Jesus is being intentional. Jesus knew what was important to the Pharisee, didn't he? He knew that the Pharisee would expect him to wash before eating, and he intentionally didn't do it because he wanted to surprise him. Because your surprise reveals what you prioritize. And Jesus is going to go on to talk about the Pharisees' priorities. And and so I, I think sometimes we should stop and ask ourselves that, shouldn't we? When we're surprised, when somebody doesn't do things like we do things, and they say things a little bit different, or they do things a little bit different, or they act a little bit different, we should say, why does, why does that surprise me? Why does it surprise me that I do things differently than, than they do? Why does, this, why does this kind of bother me? Why is this so important to me? And maybe there's a really good answer. Maybe that's important to you for a very good reason. Or maybe, maybe it's just important to you because of tradition. Maybe it's just important to you because that's the way we've always done things. But it's good to recognize our surprise because our surprise reveals what we prioritize. And so we we should stop and ask, why does this surprise me? Why is this important to me? And so Jesus brings all of these things to the surface for the Pharisee, but he's also doing this for you. And he's doing this for me to say what's really important to you. For the Pharisee, one of the most important things of the whole meal was washing before he ate, was going through this religious ceremony, was keeping the tradition, was making sure that everyone could tell and that everyone knew that he was ceremonially pure. So pay attention to our surprise. Pay attention to your astonishment and ask, why does this surprise me? Why is this important to me? Keep reading in verse 39. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of what? Greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Now, when you go to a dinner party, you may not want to use this strong a language, okay? Just, just a little tip, right? But, but Jesus does this. And he does this not just for the Pharisee. He does this for you and for me to help us reprioritize our life. And, and he says to the Pharisee, you cleanse the outside of the cup but the inside is dirty. You're very concerned about the outward appearance of things. This entire conversation will revolve around this truth that for you, the priority is the outside, but you neglect the inside. For you, the priority is what things look like, how things appear, and you completely neglect and don't think about the inside and the reality of things. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with hand washing, right? There's even nothing wrong with their tradition of hand washing. Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't go through this ceremony. But there is something wrong with prioritizing hand washing over heart washing, There is something wrong with prioritizing the appearance of things over the reality of things. There is something wrong with focusing on the way things look over the way things are. There is something wrong with prioritizing the tradition over the actual transformation. 
There is something wrong with prioritizing looking good over doing good. And for this Pharisee, the priority was simply on the way things looked, the outward appearance of things. But it's really easy for us to look down our nose and say, ah, that's how some religious people are. I've known some people like that, or I know some people like that right now. But wait, we're not talking about them. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. We're looking in the mirror and saying, how does Jesus reprioritize my life? If Jesus comes to my table, what's important to me? What's important to me? What traditions are important to me? What practices are important to me? What things are important to me? What people are important to me? And can Jesus speak into that and encourage us, encourage us to reprioritize and to see how sometimes our priorities are skewed? Do we ever prioritize tradition over transformation? Do we ever prioritize the appearance of things over the reality of things? Do we ever prioritize looking good over being good and doing good? I don't know about you, but this hits me right where I live. And it hits the Pharisee right where he lives. Verse 41, but here's what you should do. Give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. What are alms? Alms are what you give to the poor, right? So he says, give to the poor, give alms the things that are within. So if you focus on doing good, you don't have to worry about looking good, right? If you focus on doing good, you don't have to worry about looking good. Looking good will take care of itself. Who cares the way things look if you're actually doing what's good? But when you prioritize looking good over actually doing good, then your whole self is not clean. And he could say to the Pharisee, look, you're cleaning the outside of the cup, but you're still defiled. You're cleaning your hands, but your heart is a mess. Because in your heart, there is greed and wickedness. You need to replace the greed with generosity and give as alms the things that are within. And then everything will be clean. If you focus on doing good, you don't have to worry about looking good. We can fall into the same trap, can't we? Where we focus on looking good. We focus on looking religious. We focus on the appearance of things. But Jesus says, give as alms the things that are within. Replace your greed with generosity. Focus on doing good, and then you won't have to worry about looking good. Focus on the reality, not on the appearance. And we can get very caught up, can't we? in the appearance of things, the way things look. We live in an incredibly visual culture, don't we? We even try to Instagram everything we eat, right? We want to post a picture of it. We want things to look good, appear good, seem to be good. But Jesus is telling the Pharisee, focus on doing good, not just on looking good. Verse 42, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. We have to beware, and that's what woe is, right? We have to beware 
We have to beware of the danger of prioritizing measurable obedience over immeasurable obedience. We have to beware of the danger of prioritizing quantifiable obedience. We like measurable obedience, don't we? We like quantifiable obedience. We like things that we can say, see, right there, it's right in front of your face, I did it. I did it because we can check it off the list. We know. I know how, when I've read my Bible and I could say, I read my Bible today. I could check that off my list. I could scratch it off my list. I read my Bible today. I came to church today. I did this today. I said my prayers today. We love quantifiable, measurable, provable obedience. We like things that come in steps, don't we? Because then we can prove we did it. We can measure it. I know I've obeyed because I can see it. I can measure it. It's quantifiable. Beware of prioritizing quantifiable obedience. Jesus says, look, you're really concerned about tithing all of these garden herbs, and that's good. Don't stop doing that. But you neglect. And in other gospel accounts, these are called weightier matters. You neglect justice and the love of God. So you can't quantify justice. You can't quantify love. You can't quantify mercy. You can't measure it. You can't prove it. You can't check it off of a list. When Micah, chapter 6 and verse 8, we read, and we probably know this passage, you know, he's told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To do what? To do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Jesus says these are the weightier matters. You should do both. Tithe and be just. But we have a tendency. The Pharisees had a tendency. You have a tendency. I have a tendency to prioritize quantifiable, measurable, provable obedience. So that we can check it off a list and say we did that. But when God says be just. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. You say, how much? Like, how much? How much justice do I have to do? How much mercy do I have to show? How much love do I have to have? How humbly do I have to walk with my God? Wrong questions. Do you see the danger in prioritizing quantifiable, measurable, provable obedience over the other? Because Jesus says it's the other. It's it's justice and mercy and love that are actually the weightier matters of the law. Church, there are people in this room who have suffered injustice. There are people in your life who have suffered injustice. And the only way we're going to know about their stories and be able to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God is spending time with each other around a table. It's not going to happen with, hi, how are you? Hope you're well. Have a great day. It's not going to happen on that level. We have to go deeper with people. And it's really easy for us to spend in our entire Christian lives where we only prioritize quantifiable obedience, where we say, see, I did all the steps. I can check all the boxes. I can cross everything off my list. I can tell you how many times I read my Bible, how many times I went to church. Those things are important. Don't neglect those things. But also don't neglect the weightier matters. 
Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. And you can't quantify that. You can't measure that. You can't prove that. But God knows. He knows whether or not you're doing justice. He knows whether or not you love kindness. He knows whether or not you're walking humbly with him. Where did we stop? Sorry, I got excited. Verse 42, but woe to you, Pharisees, you tithe and mint root. We read that. Okay, verse 43, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love, you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. You love You love, what? The best seats in the synagogues. You love greetings in the marketplaces. This is what's important to you. See, Jesus can draw that out. Jesus can reveal that. And he can reveal that to you. He can reveal that to me. What do you love? Do you love doing justice? Do you love being merciful? Do you love showing other people the love and mercy of God? Do you love doing good? Or do you love being seen as good? Do you love looking good? The Pharisees love to look good. They love for people to say, that's a Pharisee. And to give them a warm greeting in the marketplace. Or to give them a good seat in the synagogue. They loved that. That was their priority. That was what was important to them. What's important to you? Doing good? Or merely looking good? And Jesus says, you're like unmarked graves. What does that mean? What does it mean for him to say, you're like unmarked graves? People can walk all over the grave and not even know it. I mean, think about what an unmarked grave looks like. What does an unmarked grave look like? I don't know, right? It's unmarked. That's the whole point. It just looks like a grassy spot. It just looks like a spot where there's life. It looks like there's life on the surface, but underneath there is death. The life is only on the surface. And underneath there is only death and defilement. And Jesus says, that's you, Pharisees. On the surface, there's life. On the surface, you look good. On the surface, there's grass and there's flowers and there's trees. And it looks like there's life. But underneath, there is death and decay and defilement. That's not what we want Jesus to say to us, is it? But it's really easy to prioritize looking good over doing good. For us to focus on what do we look like? What do other people think about us? Do we look like religious people? Do we look like we're doing good? Do we appear to be doing the right things? But Jesus says that's like an unmarked grave. On the surface there's life, but underneath there is death and decay. Stop focusing on looking good and start prioritizing doing good. For the the Pharisee, his table... And his life were all about looking good, looking religious, looking pious, looking as a table and a life of loving God. But his table wasn't a place of doing good. It was only a place of looking good. So here's the thought I want us to end with today. A table 
is for doing good, not just looking good. And I put it that way, and what I'm hoping is it sticks in my head, and I hope it sticks in your head, like an annoying song that you can't get out of there. And every time you see a table, whether you're in a restaurant this afternoon, or or you're at your house, or wherever you go, every time you see a table, because it's it's really easy to focus on a table looking good having nice dishes, having nice silverware, having nice place settings, having a nice tablecloth, having nice food, and looking good. But a table is for doing good, not just looking good. A table is a place for getting to know one another. A table is a place for loving one another. A table is a place for doing justice. A table is a place for loving kindness. A table is a place for walking humbly with our God. A table is a place for asking questions. A table is a place for getting to knowing to know people. A, a table is a place for encouraging people. A, a table is a place for building people up. And so we all have to stop and ask ourselves, is my table a table like that? Is my table a place where good is being done or does it just look good? Is my table a place where I am doing good? Maybe good to your own family. We spend time at our table with our family, doing good to them, doing good with them, doing good for them. Maybe a place of doing good for our neighbors, inviting our neighbors to share a meal where we remind ourselves over and over again that our table is a place for doing good, not just looking good. A table is a place for encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ. Throughout the New Testament, Christians met together in homes day by day, going to one another's homes, eating together, sharing meals with one another, sharing their life with one another, generously seeing each other's needs as if they were their own, taking care of one another. A table has always been a place for doing good, not just looking good. I don't know about you, but I need the lesson that Jesus gave to the Pharisee. Because Jesus, Jesus was a person. Jesus is a person who isn't concerned about looking good, is only concerned with doing good. And his doing good resulted in our salvation. His doing good resulted in your salvation. His doing good resulted in him giving his life so that you can live, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be resurrected to live with him forever. His doing good resulted in you having life and having it more abundantly. And so now the one who has done good for us teaches us to go and do good for others. So maybe even this afternoon as you sit at a table, maybe even at a restaurant, remind yourself a table is for doing good, not just looking good. And let's look for ways to do good for our family, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our neighbors And maybe if there's somebody here this morning and you haven't allowed Jesus to do the greatest thing for you in saving you from your sin and you need that salvation and you're ready to commit your life to him or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement, we're here to do good for you. Now's a great time to come forward as we stand and sing this song.